and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. Our movie today is an interesting revenge-slash-love-slash-comic-book action movie from 1994 called The Crow. Uh... It's a really interesting one for this show because it's not the type of movie I generally cover. It's not a comedy. It's not a horror movie. It's not a straight drama movie. It's really, I would say, more of a comic book movie, and that's really not my genre at all. But there's some, there's a lot of interesting backstory and trivia about this movie that really, um, if you grew up in the 90s, you will know about it. You'll kind of know, oh, I know why they're doing The Crow. That's the Brandon Lee movie. But if you are younger than that, if you don't know the history, this is a really interesting movie that I think you would like to know about just because of its place in history. And my uh, guest for today's show, he is one of, as always, my beloved patrons. As I am always tell people, I have a patron page and people who support my show uh, get to come on and be a guest. And Aaron has been one of my patrons for the longest time, all the way back to the beginning. And we've been trying to hash out which movie he's going to come on to do. And he was the one that threw out The Crow. And I'm like, okay, that would actually be kind of an interesting movie. I, I would like to talk about that. So I'm um, going to welcome my guest here. He is a comic book fan, uh, does a lot of writing about music and music history, movies, pop culture. Uh, I've known this guy forever. Just so excited to have him on the show. Welcome to Staff Picks, Aaron Kahn. Thank you, Mario. Now, why The Crow, Aaron? Right off the bat, let's delve into this. Uh, okay, first, we'll give you a chance to, to explain who you are and what you do, but why The Crow? How did we agree on this movie? I seem to remember that it was in a discussion thread. I think you probably posted it. And I can't remember what the topic was, but I remember posting something about uh, comparing uh, Brandon Lee and Heath Ledger mm. and just saying that the, the similarities in Heath Ledger and Brandon Lee with their last movies is very, what they have in common is just very, very eerie. I remember right after that you said, let's do The Crow. Yeah, what's interesting is we were just, my wife and I were just watching The Crow the other night, and she had never seen it before. She knew almost nothing about it. And the whole movie, she's sitting there going, he reminds me of Heath Ledger. <laughs> so oh, wow. I'm glad you already brought up the HL word, because it was inevitable it was going to come up here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so give us a little history. Who you, uh, who you are, what you do, why are you a good guest for the Crow episode? Give us your, let's sell us on you as a guest here, Aaron. Well, I am, for a job, I work in the Commerce Department of Goodwill. That's uh, Southern Jersey. We're the only e-commerce website. We're the only one in New Jersey that, ha that that's selling things online. Mm -hmm. And it basically works out like eBay. You bid on things, you buy things. So I'm really into classic rock music, the history behind it, uh, collecting vinyl, and just uh, writing about it, too. Uh, I've always wanted to do, go into music journalism, which my other job is uh, a volunteer job with a website called Pop Culture Beast, which... What I do there is I write uh, reviews on music, movies, uh, mostly music. I'm able to uh, get things from the record labels. If there's something new that comes out, they'll give it to me on the condition that I write a review for it. Even though my main interest is in classic rock music, and I do like all kinds of pop culture, movies, television, what have you. Mm -hmm. And um, even at a young age, I really liked watching uh there was an episode of E. True Hollywood Story or Biography on, 
I'd watch it because it would, I mean, depending on who was on, and if I had any interest on knowing or learning about the person who was on, around that time they had one on Bruce Lee. So I thought, okay, well, I know a little bit about Bruce Lee. Yeah, I'll watch an episode on him. So I'm watching the episode, and then at the end of the episode, they mentioned about his son, Brandon Lee, who died on the set of The Crow. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, somebody died on the set of a movie. I, mean, I had the Leonard Maltin movie guide, so I looked up what The Crow was about, and, okay, rock star that comes back from the dead, and that, that sounds interesting. But the thing that was keeping, back, keeping me back was the R rating. Ah, yes, the dreaded R rating. Now, I was about 11 at that. I would have turned 12 in October of 2003. So at that time, my mom was very protective of what uh, we watched. Her deal was no PG-13 until you're 13, no R until you're 17. Mm-hmm. But if there's something you really want to watch, she'll give it a preview, and she'll decide whether it's okay. For me. Wait, wait. so what did mom think of The Crow? I'm curious now. Uh, she did not end up watching it because it ended up being on TV. Oh. This is the funny thing about this whole thing. I really only tried it once with her because I would always get because I would always get scared of her saying no. Mm-hmm. She was going to preview The Crow until I saw that, oh, it's going to be on TNT. That means it's going to have to be, you know, edited for TV. And this was on the same week that I found out that uh, Enter the Dragon was going to be on AMC. So this is around the summer of 2003. So did mom marathon those for you? No, the only movie that she ever watched or did the preview thing was was with uh, Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. See, one one of the things I've I've realized in life is that most moms are not into bloody revenge flicks. No. (laughs) You know, sad to say. Yeah. Once I was watching the movie and I saw her face just watching and I just thought, yeah, she would have given us a hard pass. (laughs) Okay, well let's let's back up a little bit here. I'm going to sum pe- this up for people who don't know. Now, how old are you, Aaron? I'm 27. Okay, so you did not live through the Brandon Lee era, short-lived as it was. When he died, I would have probably been about two years old. Yeah, I'm not sure Mom would have given it, let you see it at two. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will give I will catch people up again for our younger listeners here because I'm much older than Aaron, so I know I lived through this era. Bruce Lee, very famous uh, martial arts movies in the 70s, died a very mysterious death. It's to this day, people still talk about it. I'm sure, Aaron, you'll have an opinion on this in a second. I'm sure you've researched it. But so Bruce Lee had a very mysterious death. To this day, a lot of people still don't know how he died. And then he had a kid, Brandon Lee. And Brandon hung around in Hollywood for a while. He wanted to make a movie. He wanted to get into action movies. And this was his first movie. This was his big debut, The Crow. Big revenge action bloody movie from 1994. And this is the creepy thing about this movie. Much like his father, Brandon Lee died a very mysterious death during the shooting of the movie. It's called The Lee Family Curse. It's one of the weirdest little urban legends in Hollywood history. And that's what makes this movie interesting is because... As This was Brandon Lee's big breakout. He died during the filming of the movie. They completed it without him, much like Heath Ledger. Again, this is why the comparisons stand. And it's a, it's kind of an interesting movie to watch now because you half the movie you find yourself wondering which scene was it where he died. <laughs> so it's kind of creepy, but so that's basically the backstory. It's this the Brandon Lee movie where he died filming it in 1994. Mm-hmm. 
So how much do you know about Bruce Lee? Because this is, you can't talk about Brandon without talking about his dad, too. As far as with Bruce, I just know the general facts of him. Of him. I've seen Enter the Dragon maybe once or twice. If The Crow had somehow been made in the 70s and the Enter the Dragon had been made in the 90s, I probably still would have been interested in The Crow. Yeah. Where did your mom stand on Kung Fu movies? I don't, I don't know. She has her own... She has her own tastes. Uh, with my mom, she has her limits. Like she is not, she does not watch TVMA shows, nor do we subscribe to any of them. She's just, you know, I respected her way of, you know, when she said, "Don't watch this movie." Even when I was in summer camp, I remember the first day of camp. My first day of camp, they had a movie night, and they put on Billy Madison, and I found out that it was PG-13. So I said, "I can't, I can't do it." So. The unit leader called up my mom and just said... Wait, Billy Madison was too hard for you? It was. I found it was PG-13. All right. I really... I I know I could have just simply just gone ahead and watched it, but it's just that I could not go... That was just my thing. I could not go against my mom's word. All right. When she received the call, she said, you know, she's going to turn... Thir- I was 12 at the time. He's going to thir- turn 13 in a couple months, so let him watch it. And that was was sort of how it was when I got older. I appreciate your very long, detailed answer to my rhetorical question about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 get back to Bruce Lee here. All right. All right, so Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, for people who don't know, he was uh, filming a, a movie in Hong Kong, I believe, in the 70s, and he died. Do you know what, I mean, do you know what the, what the, the official story is, what people, most people believe what he died of? I think it was when he was filming, it wasn't Enter the Dragon. I think Enter the Dragon was done. The movie that he was making at the time that he died was a movie called Game of Death. Yeah. And I think what happened, to my memory, that he was having trouble sleeping, so somebody gave him a pill. Mm-hmm. And then it. I guess he had a hemorrhage, brain hemorrhage, and, uh, and a lot of people have been speculating about it and... Uh, Allergic reaction, I believe, was the official story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say he had an allergic reaction to some medication and he died, but there was all these stories that, like, he had he had pissed off the spirits of, of martial arts and, like, because he had been teaching it to Westerners, and so somebody had put a curse on him. So, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of stories. There's a really interesting movie out there called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which goes into his life. And again, he's super famous, and it was really mysterious how he died. And, like, to this day, a lot of people don't buy that story. But then it's really kind of creepy that his kid died in 1994. And I will say, I was a college student in 1994. That was my sophomore year of college. I remember this whole thing. It was supposed to be a a big deal, this Crow movie, and Brandon Lee was going to be an action star, and wow, the next coming of Bruce Lee. And then, like, he just mysteriously died. And I guess we'll, we we won't bury the lead too far. Aaron, I'm sure you know all, all about this. How did Brandon Lee die? You might want to explain that to people who don't know this. Well... Uh, there are some good videos on YouTube, which are no longer there anymore. So I've tried to piece together how it happened because this was well investigated on because nobody really knew you know, what went wrong here. But this is what's been determined as the reason why Brandon Lee died mm-hmm. in the movies. They either use blanks or dummy bullets and not actual bullets. The blanks are have what the primer and the powder and then the, the dummies, they have the top on them, but there's 
no primer, no powder in them. So uh, The Crow, they were filming it in 1993, this would have been. They were almost done with the movie. And uh, during one scene, uh, they were going to be in a pawn shop and they needed they needed a round of blank bullets. Mm-hmm. However, all they had were actual bullets at that point in time. So what they had to do was empty out all the bullets of their powder and then turn them into blanks by shooting by firing off all the bullets. Now, when, when they fired them all off, it's believed that the tip of one of those bullets lodged into the gun barrel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a couple people, there's one video that said uh, a couple people do remember hearing a clicking sound from out of nowhere when this was happening. And uh, they just didn't make any note of it. After that, they just thought, okay, there was nothing. And then when it came time to shoot the scene, now the scene in which Brandon dies in is during the flashback when we see uh, Brandon Lee's character, Eric Draven, and his fiance getting murdered. Is it in the apartment? That's the scene he gets shot in? Yes, that is the scene he gets shot in. And um, unfortunately, actor Michael Massey, who played the role Fun Boy, was the one who held the gun. Now, by this point, they had the dummy bullets. So when they filled in the, the chamber with the dummies, there was still that tip of the bullet still lodging the gun. Mm-hmm. So you combine that with the gunpowder. Now, with the tip still lodged there in the gun, when it came time to film the scene, that bullet went into Brandon Lee's stomach. Yeah. And um, I think the scene went as planned, and then... Except for that part. That, 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 Other than killing our lead, it worked out great. The director yelled cut, and then... Um, I think I've read that Brandon just wasn't moving and people thought that he was kidding around because from what I've read, Brandon was a bit of a prankster on the set. He was always goofing around. And uh, once they saw that he wasn't getting up, then they immediately rushed him over to the hospital. I think he was there for five hours. They worked on him and uh, the bullet had got into his spine and he was unfortunately pronounced dead at 28. Yeah, that's uh, okay. So that's the the short version. That's the long version. The short version is yeah, they accidentally there was some accidental shrapnel in a prop gun. They fired a blank, but because there was shrapnel in the barrel, they ended up killing their star. To this day, one of the most infamous moments in movie making history. I know they passed all sorts of laws afterwards about that, about what stunt guns could do, what prop men could do. So yeah, it was a really big deal. And again, the the irony that it was Bruce Lee's kid that died mysteriously on a movie was not lost on a lot of people. And the other thing to keep in mind, I think it was in the Game of Death movie. There is a scene in the movie where an actor dies on the set. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Was that like Bruce Lee's father? <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Don't don't laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But so so yeah, that's uh that's the crow in a nutshell. It's a very simple revenge comic book movie. Although, I you probably know more about comic book movies. I'm not a big comic book guy. This would probably be considered one of the first modern comic book movies, right? Yeah. Uh, personally, I I don't mind the comic book movies. There's a couple I do like. I'm not into the the cinematic universes that go on. I see a couple of them from here and there, and I think they're good, but. I mean, I don't catch them all the time. With something like The Crow, it's really unique because it's not coming from, say, something like Marvel or DC. It, its roots are from, you know, really from just one guy 
in Michigan that witnessed a terrible, uh, you know, it was based on true tragedy. Well, okay, explain that. I don't know that. What? So the guy, this is based on a comic book, right? It came out as a comic first, mm-hmm. then they made a movie out of it. So give me the story, the short version. What? How did, how did he come, how did he write this? Well, it was written by a man named James Abar, a bit of a loner when he was growing up and uh, came from a rough background, uh, adopted. He was in a bunch of foster homes until the age of seven and just very hard upbringing to put in short. But mm-hmm. uh, at age 16, he met a girl by the name of Beverly. They fell in love and they were together for the next three years. They were already they were they got engaged. They were going to get married after they graduated high school. But out of nowhere, Beverly, his fiance, was killed by a drunk driver. Ah, okay. So he went through some, what he calls uh, in the Crow Extras, self-destructive things for the next three or so years, until he was able to find a job at a dealership working eight to ten hours and just figured out that he needed to vent his frustrations and put them into something useful instead of doing the self-destructive stuff. So he came up with the idea of the crow about a man and his girl or his fiance that are brutally murdered and that the man comes back and is resurrected by the crow as there's this whole, there's this belief that the crow carries the souls of the dead from the land of the living to the land of the dead. And uh, he just went with that. Uh, The first page he says it was Drew the first page in 1981, but he really didn't complete it entirely until 1989. So he was working this on and off like for the next couple of years because it was something personal for him because it was based on his own tragedy. And at the same time, he was listening to a lot of uh, music, especially uh, Joy Division, The Cure, which work their way into some. If you have the graphic novel, there's a couple of lyrics of some of their songs, and they've worked their way in there. Mm-hmm. He based the physicality of Eric Draven on Iggy Pop, perhaps uh, Ian Curtis of Joy Division, but I think of all the musical influence, I think Joy Division really influenced The Crow. And if you listen to the music of Joy Division, for those who don't know Joy Division, they were a band that very short-lived, made two albums. They're from the Eng- England, like late mid to late 1970s they broke up because their lead singer ian curtis killed himself mm-hmm. but the rest of the guys in the group they went on and formed their own group new order and they achieved more commercial success than joy division ever did but everybody remembers them as joy division and the music of joy division it's very moody it's very dark it, it would have fit around punk rock so with all this imagery around him he came up with the idea for the crow and uh, at a comic book store that he was working at, Caliber, they made their own uh, company, Caliber Press, and The Crow was one of the first things that they published. And it sold uh, amazingly well. When would, when would this have been in the late 80s? I think it came out in like 1989. I think the first issue came out in 89. Okay. And according to James O'Barr, about a couple of issues in, like three or four issues in, I think that's how many issues there were, he started getting offers from movie producers. Wow, that quick. And uh, he had always envisioned it as a movie. If you look at the graphic novel and you look at the panels, uh, there's a great interview that he gives in the features of the Crow DVD and Blu-ray where that he says that when he's drawing, he sometimes thinks of it as, well, what would this look like if it were a movie? Like hmm. a story panel. And uh, he sort of approaches it from that angle. And so it was all sort of laid out there and he was just waiting for somebody to make it. And, um, 
there were a couple of offers at one point, and this is no joke from what James O'Barra said, uh, there was one producer who wanted to take The Crow and said, this should be a musical starring Michael Jackson. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, <laughs> no, what he, what, and James O'Barra's just, no, that's not what it, what it's about. But the guy that really was fighting for this was a director by the name of Alex Boreas, who I think at that time he had a background in directing music videos. And he really believed in The Crow. And when they were casting for the role of Eric Draven, there were a couple of people that James O'Barra had in mind, including Christian Slater, Johnny Depp, I think even John Bon Jovi at one point. But <laughs> uh, the only one that was offered the role was, I think, Brandon. And when he read the story, he just fell in love with it. So it was really Brandon and Alex Piraeus who were fighting with the studio. At that point, Paramount were working on the movie. And when the movie came out, it was released by Miramax because of the whole accident, mm-hmm. Paramount. So, but at that point, Brandon and Alex were saying, you really got to make this movie the way it is. It's got to be gritty. They tried to make it in black and white because that's what the graphic, that's what comic is. It's all black and white. There is no color. <laughs> One can argue there's not much color in the movie either, to be honest. <laughs> no, there's, and that, they did that intentionally. I was watching a bonus feature and there was a guy that said, we're cutting all blues and greens out of the movie. It's a very, very dark movie, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that it never didn't, like, when it first came out, it didn't super appeal to me. I saw it in the theater just because you had to see the movie that Brandon Lee died in, I mean, for trivia reasons, but, like, it was, oh, that's not really my type of movie, but when I watched it again now, like, 25 years later, and it's, I will just point out to our listeners the timing of this, that Brandon Lee died, it was, like, 25 years ago, two days ago. We're taping this right at the start of April. Like it's almost the anniversary, so it's kind of creepy. But uh, yeah, it it was like a little too dark for me. It was it was very like like Batman. Would you say it's kind of like a Batman movie almost? Yeah, when it was getting released, uh, all the critics were comparing it like the sets of the movie, which are fantastic for the time. They were getting compared like a cross between Blade Runner and uh, Batman. Yeah. Uh, like the, the first Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. Sets. Yeah. It's very, it's very uh, Batman. That's all I can say. It's dystopian. It's in the future. It's like there's fire all over the place. All the buildings are run down. It's kind of like a, another movie I'm doing in a couple weeks, Demolition Man. It's kind of like that. Besides it being a comic book movie, it being very dark and dystopian and, you know, revenge flick. The other thing that struck me when I was watching it today, and again, I hadn't seen it in like 20 years, so it was a first, like how short the cuts are and how short the scenes are in this movie. It's very much like in that MTV movie editing style that they started doing really heavily in the mid-90s where every shot in the movie is like two to three seconds. And there's so many little clips and shots and just cuts. It's very short attention spanny would be a good way to explain it. But it's like it's very much of its time. It's very much a 90s action movie. And then it, when you especially get into the movie, the guns and just bullets flying everywhere. Although I do have to point out how it's a little difficult to watch a movie where, you know, Brandon Lee died in a gun accident when the whole plot of the movie is him being shot over 500 times. I have to say that's a little difficult to watch sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the and the sad part of the movie is that the tragedy is that on the day that Brandon Lee died, he was to be married. Oh, crap. Which is what this whole movie is about a man and his fiance who are murdered. So just all the things that tie together. You mentioning about it having like music video like edits. That is probably the doing of Alex Piraeus because he that was his background. He did all he did music videos. And uh, the soundtrack for The Crow is another thing. It sold uh, 
pretty well back in the day. They went number one, sold a couple of million copies here and there. Well, I know you said they're just about to put out an anniversary release of it, right? Yeah, they're going to re-release it. They're going to reissue it on vinyl for Record Store Day, celebration of the 25th anniversary of the movie. Okay. And it, it, it is pretty it is a pretty important soundtrack because uh, there's a whole bunch of artists that were on there, and it mostly covers if any subgenres were crossed here, probably mostly alternative rock, uh, alternative metal, industrial metal, mm-hmm. and they kept true, kind of true to what James O'Barr had drawn for influences with the original comic in that it was all Joy Division, The Cure, all those guys. And uh, while we don't get to hear Joy Division play, uh, Nine Inch Nails does cover uh, their song Dead Souls, which is the song. I was going to say, I was going to say we were watching it today in our living room and my wife is only like half paying attention. But even she said, man, the music in that's pretty good. She's like, is that Nine Inch Nails? And I'm like, yeah, that's a, it's a very uh, important soundtrack, I think. It's a very, uh, soundtrack and i didn't get the soundtrack until like many many years later all right so we're going to go into the plot of the movie here um we've given a lot of backstory that's a very significant historical movie but uh i want to walk you through it it's not a very intricate storyline there's there's only like six characters in the movie and it's just a straight revenge movie but the it's really the style about this movie and the you know the infamy of brandon lee dying on it and just you know one of the original comic book movies the soundtrack there's a lot going on and again it's there's a couple ways you can look at this you can look at it as a revenge movie you can look at it as an emotional movie and i would actually argue it's actually pretty strong as an emotional movie I actually kind of teared up a little when i was watching it today at the end it's got some nice emotional resonance or you could just watch it as a comic book stylistic music video type thing there's a lot of there's a couple different ways you could look at this movie how like what, what would how would you describe it aaron uh in like a one sentence how would you describe this movie to people i'd probably say uh emotion emotional okay good so you go the emotion over the revenge that's good your mom has trained you well aaron <laughs> all right so you're ready to dive into this movie yeah sure all right ready to fire it up fire it up yep Okay, so the movie is takes place in some sort of dystopian future. Again, it's a comic book movie. You've seen this type of thing before. And it's like this uh, very dark, ominous world. And it's on a October 30th. And uh, I don't know, is this a real holiday, Devil's Night? Have you looked that up before? Not really. I, I, I never knew of it until I watched The Crow. But, okay. That's the mythology of this movie, that apparently on October 30, the day before Halloween... Uh, it's called Devil's Night, and there's all sorts of mischief, and apparently roaming vandals burn down buildings, which I do not remember that part of the Halloween, of being part of the Halloween holiday, but apparently that's what goes on here in whatever this town is. Yeah, I think it's taking place in Michigan, which is where uh, James Abar was grew up. So this would be Detroit now? Is he making a statement on how crappy Detroit is? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to look at the comic it, it matches all the grit uh but it and the sets look all great the tracking shot like zoom right into the the apartment it's all well laid out right there so the start of the the start of the movie is it starts with a quote where this little girl we're going to find out her name is sarah and she reads this thing which is basically the plot of the movie she says People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. 
But sometimes something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. So there you go. That's the crow. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what we're going to go over for the next 20 minutes, that something horrible and sad has happened and a soul could not rest. So a soul is going to come back to earth to put things right. And I turn it over to you, Aaron, to talk about the murder. We don't get to see the murder until we're shown. It's flashback. The aftermath, and then once Brandon, or uh, when Eric is brought back, he's resurrected a year later. So a year later, after all this tragedy, you know, the girl Sarah, she's now friends with the policeman, uh, Officer Albrecht, who's played by Ernie Hudson. Yeah, so this guy and his girl are going to get married. They're getting married on Halloween. The night before they are to be married, this gang of thugs comes in. A very, very brutal rape-slash-murder scene. Not surprising that Aaron's mom did not want to screen this one. So the girl is raped and killed. Uh, Eric Draven, uh, Brandon Lee, is shot several times. And again, somewhere in here is the actual scene that he died in, although I don't think the footage is there. And then he's thrown out a window. And it's just this horrible, brutal scene. It opens with the police investigating this crime and saying how horrible it was and how brutal it was. And basically an entire year passes. And this is where our movie starts. One year after this very, very brutal murder, what happens is this uh, the whole mythology of a crow will bring a soul back from the dead if, it, if, it's a, if there's some sadness attached to it. This crow comes, it taps on Brandon Lee's grave. On the exact one-year anniversary, he rises from a grave and he returns to his home. Like, he doesn't realize that he's dead. He goes back to his home and uh, this is where he realizes what's happening. He says, I'm dead, my wife's dead, like, our place has been trashed and he wants to hurt himself. He's so angry, but he realizes his wounds will heal. Like he, he can't be hurt. He's like, wow, this is interesting. I'm like a, uh, I'm like a mythological beast now, and he's come back. So, really, the next hour and a half of the movie is now him finding the four thugs that killed and raped his girlfriend and him, and getting his revenge. And we're introduced to all the, the goons, uh, lack of a better term, that went in and killed uh, Eric and Shelley. Do you know their names? All four of their names. Uh, well, we have Tin Tin, uh -huh. Fun Boy. T-Bird, and Skank. A uh, little known trivia. Those were actually the original names for the four Brady men in the Brady Bunch. Oh, wow. No, not. That's, I'm just joking. There was no Skank Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the four thugs. And this is the story of them running around town and being chased by Eric Draven the Crow. And they're all, they all have their specialty and like, their own like little quirk to them. And uh, Eric Draven basically just goes out and chases them all. And uh, some of the sequences are more impressive than others. Some of them are very simple. Some of them are more elaborate, we'll say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, thing that's interesting with, with him realizing why he was brought back, that's not the way it was going to be in the movie. There was going to be another character by the name of the Skull Cowboy. <laughs> okay. And he was in the original comic. They had an actor already for him who, whose name I cannot remember. He was in the movie, but uh, when it came time to do the post-production and do the CGI on Brandon for the days that he did not shoot the movie, they found that they could not like put him in the movie because there were too many important scenes that they had to oh. reshoot that would require Brandon. So he's, he's out of the movie, although you can find his deleted scenes all over uh, on YouTube, online. 
the Skull Cowboy is supposed to be his reminder that, you know, this is your mission. But I think it still works that, you know, he doesn't need somebody to tell him why he's here. He can just find it out for himself. Let's talk about his look. Let's talk about the Brandon Lee's look here. That's the kind of the iconic thing in this movie. What if so, uh, explain this to someone who has never seen this movie before? How does when uh, Brandon Lee realizes he's come back from the dead and he is the, an avenging angel, uh, what costume does he decide to put on to uh, complete the image? Decides to put on well, him being a rock star, he decides to put on his stage clothes mm -hmm. and. Uh, use a uh, makeup to paint up his face because right near his mirror were the faces of comedy and what tragedy and uh, yeah. the little white mask of comedy and tragedy he basically paints his face like tragedy and the thing about those scenes in the apartment those were all that i think that was all that was left to shoot of the movie so all those scenes that's a body double oh okay so all the stuff with his girlfriend at the end that's all body doubles and stuff yeah if you don't if you see like the actor's back turned then yeah, that's that's not him. Okay. They did digitally reinsert him in there, and that whole shot where it pans out and you see the face all painted up, it was groundbreaking technology at the time for uh, 1994. They were able to uh, digitally CGI Brandon's face hmm. onto another actor. So all those scenes that... T I'm pretty sure all the scenes in the apartment, those were shot after uh, Brandon Lee had died. Let's talk about the thugs here. The four thugs, because they are the there's actually seven villains in this movie, but only four of them are the little flunkies. These are the the four that raped and killed uh, his wife. Let's see, you already told their names. I will reel them off one more time, just because it's fun to say the names: Fun Boy, T Bird, Tin Tin, and Skank. And then, uh, so well, what's funny, or maybe not funny, I don't know. But the crow sort of has a sense of humor, Brandon Lee, and his revenge, in that whatever. The, each villain has a specialty in what crime they specialize in, and the crow, Draven, will kill them in that manner each time. So, you know, we got to shout out to the crow for having a little sense of humor that you got Tintin, the black guy who's the master of knives. And what's the exact quote? There's a fight scene in the beginning where he kills Tintin, and I think the quote is, he stabbed him in every major organ in his body in alphabetical order. So There's a bit of comedy in, in the movie. I will agree with that. that like, it's not all that, for a movie that's so dark, there there is some kind of comedy, but it's all dark. It's dark comedy, Aaron. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Draven starts knocking off these flunkies left and right. He takes out Tintin with the knives, and there's another guy, uh, uh, what is his name, Fun Boy. Now, this is the actor that actually killed Brandon Lee. So, like, have you ever read an interview with him? Was he haunted by that for life, that it was his, he was holding the stupid prop gun, and he was the one that killed Brandon Lee? Uh, yeah, after that happened, he quit acting for a couple, like a, a year or so, and he just, he never watched the movie. Yeah. He didn't give any interviews about it until I think maybe, maybe like 2005-ish, or I think he had a role in the miniseries uh, Angels in America, and that came out and talked about what happened with Brandon. And the thing I should mention about Michael Massey is that 2016, he passed away, unfortunately. And the thing that really uh, pisses me off about uh, his passing is that the headlines for his obituaries were actor Michael Massey, the man who shot Brandon Lee. Oh, that sucks. And it's just, this is what the guy was trying to escape for his entire life after it happened. Yeah. Yeah. For the record, it was the prop department and the prop men who are the ones that got blamed. And I know there was lawsuits and stuff, but this poor actor that was, that was holding the gun, this poor guy had nothing to do with it. 
And the thing that's freaky about it is that uh, there were a couple of other people considered for the role of Fun Boy. One of them was Iggy Pop, but he had to cancel because of tour obligations. Though Iggy Pop, uh, he later appeared in one of the sequels as one of the villains. But uh, And that's what, uh, actually, that's what Fun Boy was based off of, at least in the comics, was uh, Iggy Pop. Hmm. Just the physicality of, yeah, that whole scene with, I mean, Michael Massey's really good in the movie, and it's just a shame that, you know, that's how he has to be remembered. Okay, so first we got Tintin, the black guy. He gets killed with the knives. Then we get Fun Boy, the Michael Massey. He is a drug user, and... What happens to him? He has died. He gets like 20 hypodermics full of morphine into his heart or something like that. Yes, something like that. But I think there was in the work print version where he actually regained consciousness and there was a little bit of a fight between them. But as it's shown in the movie, yeah, that's what. And then, okay, so next up is uh, the third villain is T-Bird. And I have to talk about T-Bird for a second. You Do you know much about the actor who plays T-Bird? Because he's a personal favorite of mine. I did not realize this until years after I watched the movie that he played Luther in uh, The Warriors. Yes. Okay. I will. I will give a little Mario shout out to one of my all-time favorite actors. This guy, his name was uh, David Patrick Kelly, I believe, right? Yeah, David Patrick Kelly was one of these that guys, and that's a great term. I know Bill Simmons first came up with that on his podcast for one of these. Actors you recognize in movies, but you don't know their names because they're never the star. David Patrick Kelly was the villain in so many 80s movies. It's astounding. And Aaron mentioned the Warriors. He's the guy, Warriors, come out and play. Yay, that's David Patrick Kelly. He's in a personal favorite of mine from the mid-80s called Dreamscape, where he's a scummy guy that goes into people's dreams and tries to kill them. He's in Commando, where he faces off against Schwarzenegger. And he's in, let's see... Uh, there's a couple other ones. Those are just the ones off the top of my head. He was always the scummiest, sleaziest villain, and he shows up here as an arsonist. And I should point out that in keeping with Eric Draven's dark sense of humor, the arsonist is set on fire and then blown up as he's as he is in a car, driven off a pier into the water. So a flaming ending to the great David Patrick Kelly here. And then that, that whole great scene where the crow, with every person he kills, he leaves a sign of, of the crow. His calling card, like the Wet Bandits. Yeah, and the thing that I did not notice until last night about, I heard this in a video, and I'm surprised I did not notice this. As T-Bird is going off and Eric has the little button, he sort of waves off to T-Bird. Mm-hmm. If this video is to be believed, the way that Brandon Lee was doing that was similar to the way that the actor, the way he did it in uh, Warriors with the bottles. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's done on purpose, and it just blows my mind that I find out something like that, you know, years after watching it. Yeah, just a, a shout-out to David Patrick Kelly, and it just reminds me right now I have to do the movie Dreamscape. There's there's no way you've ever heard of Dreamscape, right? Maybe only by name. It's obscure even by 80s standards. Like, even 80s kids don't know that movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's about a movie about people who can go into dreams and kill people. And Dennis Quaid is the good guy who tries to stop them from doing that. And David Patrick Kelly's the bad guy who's trying to get into people's dreams and kill them. So it's, it's a fun movie. All right, so those are three of our thugs. They've been off. And the fourth one, his name is, uh, what was the fourth one? He's got the, the stupid name. <laughs> Skank. Skank, yes, I'm sorry, Skank. So Skank is now off. So basically Draven comes back and kills the four thugs that ruined his life and murdered him and his girlfriend. But that you think that would be the plot of the movie, but there's still more villains, right, Aaron? 
Yeah, they're the three uh, top dollar mica and Grange. Uh, yeah, expl- explain those to people. Yeah, well, top dollar is uh, played by Michael Wincott, who is great in the movies. This long-haired kind of guy. He's the guy who oversees all the crime in the in the city, and everything that happens, you know, is his call. He's Mr. Big. Mm-hmm. The four little flunkies all worked for him. That's the guy. Top Dollar is the main villain here. Yeah, which is interesting because the names were all switched around in the comics. And Top Dollar was only, he was one of the goons in the comics. Oh, well, who was number one, Skank? <laughs> no, actually, T-Bird, I think. What? It makes sense that they would call the top guy Top Dollar. Yeah. Because that, <laughs> so that's, a, that's one of the changes that just makes, like, they made some changes here and there, but that's one of the ones that... They all work, but that's the one that, yeah, they had to kind of change because it makes sense that the main guy's top dollar. Man, hashtag justice for skank. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Grange, who is this? He's the sidekick, right? Yeah, he's sort of the uh, like guy who oversees or, uh, you know. He's the henchman. I'll, I'll have to point out the actor on that one, A yet another that guy favorite, Tony Todd. Here playing the henchman uh, Granger. You may know Tony Todd most likely as Candyman from the Candyman movies, among many other villains he's played over the years. He also shows up in The Rock as one of the uh, the Marines taking over Alcatraz. And then uh, female uh, is played by Bai Lang. Her name is Micah. Now the thing about those three characters that we just mentioned, their names are never said in the movie, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny. That was one of my wife's complaints, actually, when we were watching it. She's like, I don't know who these people are. I'm like, yeah, I think you just have to know their roles. Yeah, until you see the, the end credits and then, okay, that's what the... Ah, Micah, yes. I didn't know how to pronounce their... I wasn't 100% sure as to how to pronounce their names until I watched the bonus features. Wait, you didn't, you didn't know how to pronounce Top Dollar? No, I knew how to pronounce... What, Top Dollar? Is that French? I didn't know it was Grange or Grange and Micah or Mika... And uh, the whole thing with the ad with Micah and uh, Top Dollar is that they're brother and sister, which when I was younger, I'm thinking, no, they're not. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they look nothing alike. Yeah, let's point that out to people. One of the lovely subplots of this movie, the main villain, Top Dollar, his sister, Micah, and apparently they're banging one another. <laughs> so apparently, once again, why Aaron's mother would probably not pre-screen this movie for her 12-year-old. I remember when I was watching on TV and that one scene where Bai Ling is holding the knife to that, that woman saying, I love her eyes, pretty. I just looked back at my mom and she was just, Ugh. Yeah, there's eyeball, eyeball removal in this movie. Let's point that out. For those who are squeamish, there are eyeballs being cut out of victims. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of edits to the TV version. When I, and when I saw them on the in the actual movie, I was like, oh, I guess that was something cut out. <laughs> yeah, literally cut out. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite... This is the one one of the edits that I remember very well because it's just one of those terrible, terrible edits to try and get it to TV. Is in the scene with Fun Boy where uh, Eric puts his hand over the gun barrel and he says, you know, go ahead, take your shot. You got me dead bang. Now, the line in the movie from Fun Boy is, you are seriously effed up, dude. Okay. And the TV version, as I would hear it for years and years, was, you are seriously fouled up. <laughs> I mean, that works. It's also an F word. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like some of the changes that like, uh, I mean, some of them made sense. Like uh, when Skank said that uh, he felt like a little worm on a big effing hook. They, I think they changed it to fishing hook. <laughs> also, also an F word I should point out. Yes. 
So how long is this movie in the TV edit? Is it like 45 minutes long? <laughs> they were able to get out like all the F-bombs. I know the whole uh, Jesus Christ joke that was cut out. When After I saw the movie, I was obsessed with the movie, looking up on pro sites and just looking at some of the lines thinking, wait a minute, that's not the way I remember them. <laughs> For people who don't know the movie, the line he's talking about is uh, Eric Draven has been shot in the hands by Fun Boy, and he walks up, he's holding up his hands, and he makes a Jesus on the cross joke, which probably did not go over super well on the TV edit at the time, where he says, Jesus walks into a bar, hands the bartender three nails, and says, Mind, would you put me up for the night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cut that. When, they, when, we, show, when the, we rerun this podcast on TV, uh, I will cut that part. <laughs> That's one big fishing hook. <laughs> all right, yeah. So, so Draven kills all the flunkies, and he gets to the end, and he's basically facing off with the crime boss in the city, Top Dollar, who's like, uh, I don't like that you killed all my minions. And Draven's like, well, I got no beef with you. I was just here to kill the people that killed my wife and ruined my life. So, you know, peace out. And he goes back, and he's done his mission. The crow has killed everyone that has ruined his life, but Top Dollar is not thrilled about this, and he's like, I don't like that guy. Like he's he's threatening me in my own town. He's throwing me around, and they, Top Dollar, Micah, and Granger figure out. Well, he's got that crow, this flying crow, with him at all times, and I guess that probably makes him invincible. Let's kill the crow and kidnap his little girlfriend Sarah, and then he won't be invincible, and then we can kill him once and for all. And that leads to the last 20 minutes of this movie, which is Eric Draven with his superpowers being taken away, being forced to take on the main three supervillains. Now, there was a missing scene that one of the important scenes with the with the Skull Cowboy. <laughs> Wait, we're back to the Skull Cowboy? What's he doing here? Well, he was supposed to be in this, and you can find it on YouTube. It's not on the DVD anymore. I don't know why they didn't do that. You, so you see him. He's he's at the grave. He's ready to go home until Eric, right? Eric sees that he, you know, he has to go home, and then he sees from the crow's eye view that you know Sarah's in trouble. So he goes over. Now, what was supposed to happen was the Skull Cowboy was outside there in the church saying that, quit screwing around, you know, the job is done, leave. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I can't leave her. I got to save her. The reason why the Skull Cowboy is the Skull Cowboy is because that's how old he is. He's from, he was a cowboy. And the thing that he failed at was that he didn't complete his mission, which didn't allow him to go back with the one that he loved. Oh, I see. So he just says, we'll choose and be damned. And that strips him away of his invincibility. Okay, that's actually quite interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. And then it isn't until when, uh, what, Top Dollar shoots in that he finds out that he's not invincible anymore. Okay. All right, yeah, so that's the plot of the movie, just for people who don't know it, that Draven has a chance to go back to the afterlife afterwards and rejoin his girlfriend, but he can't because they have this little girl that he and his girlfriend, his wife used to take care of named Sarah. She's being threatened by the bad guys. They're holding her ransom. They're basically trying to draw Draven back out into the world, and they do because he has to go save her. I got it. And it's a thing that they would save for one of the sequels later, since that didn't make it in. Since they didn't have the Skull Cowboy in the movie, that whole idea of if you don't complete the mission, that was saved for one of the later sequels. Okay. Okay, so let's get to the finale here. So the finale is Draven goes into this church and ostensibly does not make the Jesus on the cross joke in the church. That would be double blasphemous. (laughs) So he meets them up there and the three are, it's like an ambush. 
And they basically, they're not trying to kill him. They're trying to kill his little crow, his little sidekick. They take out the crow. He gets injured. Draven all of a sudden is is wounded. He can be wounded for the first time. And it looks like all, all bets are off. The revenge is over. Draven's about to get killed for the second time. And this is where the heroic Ernie Hudson, the cop who has been running around chasing Draven the entire movie, pops up and in the church with a gun, starts shooting the bad guys. And now it's Ernie Hudson and the crow fighting the bad guys, which... I think would have been a, a good alternate title for this movie, Ernie Hudson and the Crow. A buddy cop movie there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, his <laughs> next best movie after Ghostbusters. Ernie Hudson's he's really good in the movie. He and Brandon have good chemistry. And there is a, there are a couple laughs there where they have this whole plan. Where Eric says, well, that's a great plan, except one thing. Oh, you're bleeding. I thought you were invincible. Well, I was. <laughs> Not anymore. Yes. Ernie Hudson cracks the case. And then he just screws up the whole thing, gets shot. So Brandon has to, you know, I thought you were backing me up. Well, I guess I just failed. Yeah. Ernie Hudson once again fails in the rescue, just like, just as he did in the hand that rocks the cradle when he tries to save the baby at the end. So nice, nice try, Ernie Hudson. <laughs> All right. So the end of the movie is uh, Brandon Lee, Eric Draven chases the main two villains. This is uh, Top Dollar and his sister that he's banging, Micah chases him up up to the top of the bell tower and Micah tries to uh, somehow get the power of the crow the bird into her and it, it decides to peck her eyes out and Biling dies a very bloody death without eyes as she falls down the bell tower now I'm guessing that scene was heavily edited on TV right oh yeah they, they cut the whole scene with that that one shot where you see all her eyes bloody <laughs> that that was all and the interesting thing in the work print you can see a little bit of it in the movie. Eric was trying to save her, actually, when she was hanging from, like, swinging back and forth. There's, like, a little shot that you can see of him, but uh, if you saw the whole work print scene, he was trying to save her, but it makes sense that he he wanted to try to just let her fall. Yeah, let her die. He's there for revenge. And I remember when I watched, I was, you know, being 11 years old, I was very happy when she was... <laughs> gone because you know she didn't get her way yeah. it's okay to admit it that's not you, you should not be ashamed about that micah was a horrible person Aaron. it's fine i absolve you of all guilt <laughs> although it does lead a quite lead me to a question with micah getting her eyeballs pecked out and two other characters getting their eyeballs removed look what did the director have against eyeballs what is his problem did you read about that no, I didn't read anything about it. Is it something Oedipal? I mean, was he in love with his mom? I don't know what was going on. There's incest and missing eyes. Is this, is this like another telling of Oedipus somehow? Possibly. There you go. I've I've blown your mind. His obsession with, uh, I think that because he looks into somebody's eyes and sees if they're telling the truth. Ah, okay. And I think that's his, like, the eye, the eye never lies. When, I think that's one of his things. That top dollar says as he takes out one of his uh, swords. <laughs> yeah, a lot of eyeball footage in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's very popular among ophthalmologists. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then we go to the very top end of the movie. This is the main guy, Top Dollar, against Eric Draven, who's now wounded. He's been shot. He's hurt, and they get up on the roof and they have this big sword fight and. I have to say, for a guy who's the child of the most famous martial artist of all time, I would have liked to see Brandon Lee like do more martial arts in this movie, because I know I was I read somewhere he was actually a very well trained martial artist, and this movie it's basically just him shooting people. <laughs> yeah, well, he did his own stunts in the movie, I think, and uh, this was really going to be his 
big breakout hit, which it would have been had he lived. But prior to this, his only other movies were, I think he was in a, what, a movie with Dolph Lundgren, Showdown in Little Tokyo. He had a little bit in that. He was in like some B movies like Laser Mission, but uh, this was going to be his big break. And uh, yeah, all those scenes that you see, that that's him. That's not body double. The only exception being when... After he's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but this one shot at the top of the this last scene at the top of the uh, church tower, this is like one of the few times he gets to do like hand-to-hand combat with people. Mm-hmm. So he's doing a sword fight, and he like pulls out like a spire off the top of the building, and he's sword fighting this guy. So this is actually like a cool fight scene you'd expect from the child of the greatest martial arts uh, expert of all time. So again, it's a cool fight, and uh, it's got a cool ending. I kind of forgot the ending, how, how he kills the bad guy here. Yeah, and the reason why that happened is because, like, his powers come back suddenly after that because Top Dollar basically reveals that he was the one behind the hole. Yeah, he ordered the hit on Brandon and his girlfriend. So that enables his powers back and uh, led Top Dollar to his death. Okay, let's explain this one. Okay, this this is actually kind of cool. He's a, 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 a revenge flick enthusiast would enjoy this one, that... Earlier in the movie, when Eric Draven comes back to life, he finds out that when his girlfriend was murdered, she didn't die right away. She held on for, what, 30 hours? And she was in agonizing pain in the hospital, and then she finally, her body just gave up. And what happened, it was Ernie Hudson, the cop, was sitting at her bedside that entire 30 hours, and he wanted to will her back to life. So he basically absorbed all her pain. He was there the entire time. And then when Draven meets Ernie Hudson earlier in the movie, Eric basically touches him and absorbs his 30 hours of pain all into him just to absorb the pain that his his fiance faced. And so the last final minutes of the movie, Eric Draven tells the bad guy, you know, I have something for you. And Draven's been stabbed through the chest. He's about to die. And he's like, I have one gift for you before I leave. And he touches the bad guy and he basically sends out all 30 hours of the pain that his wife faced in the hospital and the bad guy basically absorbs that all at once and there's a great quote here where Brandon says or uh, Eric Draven says I don't want this anymore 30 hours of pain all at once all for you and it basically just kills the guy on the spot and he falls off the church and lands directly on that gargoyle and the gargoyle starts it's very uh, icky image of the, the blood dripping out of the gargoyle but which is funny because that's, that's the exact way that the hand that rocks the cradle ends with someone being impaled by falling off a roof. So Ernie Hudson making his presence known yet again. <laughs> <laughs> I have nowhere to go after that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so really that's the end of the movie that Eric Draven has come back and he has, you know, killed all the people that killed his girlfriend. He has, he has made the wrong right. He has absolved all the pain and hurt in his life and he has made it good. And he killed the bad guy. He saved Sarah, the little girl. And this is the scene that actually makes me touch up or uh, tear up a little bit. And it's, you know, partially because Brandon Lee died, but partially because it's just a well-written storyline that, you know, he crawls back to his grave and he's about to die. He's about to go back to the afterlife. And then his girlfriend, uh, Shirley, what is her name? Shelly. Shelly. I always get Shelly and Sarah mixed up. No, Shelly. So Shelly appears and she comes and she kisses him and they share one last embrace and she basically leads him back into the afterlife. She's there and now they will be together forever and all has been righted. And it's a very, it's a very sweet ending for a very dark movie, I will say. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with that title for Brandon and Eliza, which Eliza was 
Brandon Lee's fiance. Yeah, they dedicated the movie to Brandon Lee and the woman he was going to marry the next day or the next week. I think it was like just two days. Oh, oh, that's horrible. It's a miracle that the movie was able to get finished because once Brandon had died, Paramount didn't know if the movie was going to be released. It was on the shelves for a while. Brandon's mother and Bruce Lee's widow, Linda Caldwell, I think her name is, she filed a wrongful death lawsuit, which they settled out of court. And then uh, it really wasn't known if this movie was going to be released at all. And Alex Perez didn't know if he wanted to release it at all. But uh, Brandon's mother said, you know, you should finish it. That's what Brandon would want. So uh, Miramax backed him up with with an additional $18 million dollars. To finish the movie, whatever Brandon wasn't unable to complete, get the CGI effects to complete the scenes that Brandon wasn't in. And then um, it was ready by June of 1994. Yeah, that's always the big question when it comes to Brandon Lee here is like, would this movie have been a big hit if he hadn't died? Because that's always the big notoriety. That's why a lot of people wanted to see it at the time, because you got to see this movie that that where they had the huge accident. So. I personally believe this movie probably would have been a big hit even without him, but I'm not sure if it would have been as big. Like, I do think he would have had a big career, but even when my wife was watching it today, she's like, he doesn't have that much charisma. Like, she's not entirely convinced he would have been a huge star. So it is an interesting discussion question to what what would have happened, because I think I read somewhere that the movie cost like $20 million to make, and it made 50. So it was a pretty big hit, but you always do want to factor in, like, would it have been a hit without the notoriety? And that's hard to answer. It is. Um, I mean, I mean, would anybody have shown interest, you know, without the accident? And the, the other thing that happened was there were a couple of accidents that happened on the set. Like, there was a carpenter that was injured. There were a couple of other on set injuries. And, and the one that topped it all off was the lead actor getting killed. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. So, uh but they were able to complete it. And, you know, there were a few sad stories attached to the movie with Brandon and his, and his fiance, Michael Massey. Uh, the actress who played Sarah, Rochelle, I think her name was Rochelle Davis. The little girl? Yeah. Base, I mean, she's come back out years now, come, going to Comic-Cons and what have you. But um, that was really her only movie because she quit acting after that. And her reasons behind that, she said later in interviews, that she saw how the the movie business was and how there were a lot of scumbags out there, and she just really didn't like how dirty it was. And also because of what happened with Brandon. Yeah. Which has to be a horror for some, you know, girl her age. Yeah, it's her first movie. Yeah, it was her first movie. And the, I mean, her IMDb credits, I think there's like an extra movie that she was, but like a no name movie, but I think she didn't make a little turn, return to acting. She speaks now, tens compounds or whatever. Same thing with Michael Massey before he passed. He, I think there was a whole uh, Crow cast reunion. Uh, what was it? 2014 for the 20th. And he was at that, even though Michael Massey said that he never watched the movie. So uh, it still goes on. It's now considered a, you know, what we call a cult classic. And I think that's its origins of the comic being an underground comic. Well, they made how many? They made a bunch of sequels out of it too, right? Yes, there were a couple of sequels. Uh, there were four movies and a, and a TV show. The first 
sequel was released two years later called The Crow City of Angels, which is about they, well, they really weren't sure if they wanted to do the sequel, but try to ask Crow fans, you know, what do you want? Okay, we want nothing about Eric Draven. It has to be a new story. Okay, that's what you're going to get. So the whole movie was about you know, a man and his son that are murdered, and uh, the father comes back, and it all takes place years after the first one, because Sarah's now all grown up, and uh, she sort of guides the new Crow, whose name is Ash. That's not uh, Bruce Campbell, right? <laughs> a little crossover? <laughs> it's all in uh, Los Angeles, which is where Sarah moved to. There's a focus on uh, Dia de los Muertos. Uh, it's visually a very good-looking movie. Uh, it's just very... The sets are very good. And uh, uh, the cast is very diverse. Uh, Iggy Pop got to play one of the baddies. Uh, Twee Trang, the original Yellow Power Ranger, was one of the baddies. That was her first major role. She had just recently left Power Rangers, and one of her big roles after that was uh, she got to be in the Crow sequel. And then, um, who else? Uh, one of the guys that was in the uh, who played Sarah's boss was uh, Ann Dury, who's a punk singer. And uh, the guy who played uh, Ash named Vincent Perez. And the thing that happened with the movie, they had all shot 160 minutes. And then uh, Harvey Weinstein's told them, you can't do this. We need to do a bunch of reshoots to the point where the movie was only 84 minutes. That Harvey Weinstein is a creep. <laughs> so what came out, it was more like, you know, the crow one and a half. But there's a good uh, video on YouTube from a channel called Good Bad Flicks that gives a very good overview of what the movie was supposed to be. There's been fan edits, uh, but still the, the, the actual version of what they tried to make as the Crow City of Angels has never been released. But personally for me, there's some things I like about it, but overall I don't think it's all that good of a movie. But it led to the TV show, uh, The Crow Stairway to Heaven, which was, it was, it's basically a TV adaptation of the first movie. But instead of getting to Shelley by killing all, all, all these people, uh, he had to go out and help other people, which I think is what the Wait, sequel... That's not a revenge movie. That's wrong. <laughs> that's terrible. That is not what Brandon Lee would have wanted. I can't remember the actor's name who played uh, Eric, but he later became the host of Top Chef. <laughs> and uh, the show only lasted for one season, and uh, that, was, that was it for that. And there were another two movies that were direct-to-video deals. The third one, Crow Salvation, actually has a really good, uh, interesting twist on the the story. Uh, it's about a man who's innocently blamed for killing his girlfriend and he's sentenced to death. And uh, the crow brings him back and he goes out to find the real killers. <laughs> Is that the OJ story? <laughs> <laughs> that one has a good story, but compared to the budget that uh, City of Angels had, it was considerably lower. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is in the movie, but just a couple wow. uh, years before the first Spider-Man movie. I'm, I'm sure she has that higher on her resume. The direct-to-video Crow movie. And then it got to an all-time low with uh, The Crow Wicked Prayer, which is loosely based off of a, a novel. And it's about an ex-con and his girlfriend who are killed in a satanic ritual, which it's nowhere close to being satanic. <laughs> Satanic-ish. The Crow this time is played by Edward Furlong. <laughs> oh, he was available. Good. And it's just really poorly acted. David Boreanaz is in it. Tara Reid is in it. And they're in the <laughs> satanic cult. It's kind of a funny one to watch if you just want a good laugh. Uh, 
Dennis Hopper comes out of nowhere and he plays this priest named El Nino and, and they they killed the them because, so they could re resurrect uh, David Boreanaz's character as Satan. Wow. I know. I, I I always wondered if Dennis Hopper and Tara Reid shared a scene together in in the Hollywood history. There you go. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's lines are very there. He's like this guy named El Nino, <laughs> and uh, he's like saying all these. He's acting like a gangster, and it's just that's the thing. Like we finished the first movie because that's what Brandon Lee would have wanted. Would he have wanted four shitty sequels? I don't think so. No, and that really. Uh, so to speak, put the nail uh, in the coffin there for the for the Crow movies. All right, so that's pretty much the summary of the Crow and uh, and its assorted sequels. Uh, if you want to go out and, and track it down, it is a fun movie of its time. Again, very action ba- action packed. Very lots of guns, lots of bullets, stuff flying everywhere. It's got a neat little emotional resonance in it that I have to say. And like I said, as I get older. I got I got more out of it when I watched it in my 40s than I did in my 20s just because the emotional stuff I think is pretty good. There's an especially good line right at the end where uh, the little girl says after Eric has been taken back to the afterlife to be with his his fiance and she says, if people are stolen from us, the key is never stop loving them. Buildings burn, people die, but real love lives forever. And then it says, dedicated to Brandon and his fiance. It's just a very sweet ending of a movie. And like I said, that's, I'm sure that's not what they wanted, would have wanted it to be remembered when, remembered for when they were filming it. But it is known as the Brandon Lee tragedy movie, a uh, movie that's not talked about all that much, even though, as Aaron said, there were many sequels. But yeah, so that's The Crow from 1994. So, Aaron, do you have anything else to say and wrap up before we sign off here? I think it'd be worth noting that uh, I'm going to be on another podcast in the near future. I mentioned about the podcast Rock Solid, hosted by Pat Francis, along with you, Mario. Uh, they are another uh, Patreon that I support. And it came to the point where I donated enough to pick the topic for an episode. And uh, so um, it's coming up. It's coming out in around May. And uh, our episode's going to be uh, The Muppets. Oh, good choice. So we're going to play the music of the Muppets. And the reason behind my picking the Muppets, aside from having a lifelong love for the Muppets, is that if you were to listen to all the episodes of Rock Solid, they almost always fall back on the Muppets for some reason. (laughs) The best way to describe it is is how, I don't know, Seinfeld falls back on Superman. They always go back to the Muppets saying, oh, that sounds like a song that, you know, Sweetums would have sang or... (laughs) <laughs> or something like that. And I just thought, well, let's see how a Mu- all Muppets episode works. So uh, that's coming out and that's dropping in May. And uh, anybody wants to listen to that, go listen to the Rock Solid show. You can read my articles on Pop Culture Beast. And I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, Aaron underscore con. That's about it for me. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I can't promise we'll have enough Muppet footage here on Staff Picks, but that if you, I actually have been con- uh, considering doing the Muppet movie, the original one here, one of these days. But uh, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, the Crow. Thank you, Aaron, for joining me again. My name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me via email at uh, staffpickspodcast at gmail dot com or on Twitter at Mario J Lanza. Until the next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll be making damn sure that my prop guns do not have shrapnel in the barrel before I shoot them at me. Talk to you guys later. Bye.
I have something to give you. I don't want it anymore. Thirty hours of pain. All at once. All for you. 